Welcome to the Racing with Jason podcast. I am Jason Carter bringing you another episode here during your quarantine life. Got a very special guest on the phone. He'll be on the phone the whole show because we got a lot to talk about. That is James Aragon. James, how we doing today, my man? I'm good, Mr. Carter. Thanks for having me. Am I saying that right, Aragon? Have I been saying it wrong for the last nine years? You're probably one of the few that can nail it. <laughs> That's awesome. You can nail it. But... uh <laughs> I like yours. I like Mr. Carter. Mr. Carter? That's a, that's what like, Tony Tony still always calls me that. It's like the president, Jay-Z, you. What, pretty, what? pretty elite club. So little Wayne, his name is Wayne Carter, and that's my middle name is Wayne. So a little Carter three. I like little Wayne. I'm not opposed I to I like him. little Wayne. I dig it. Did you know that he's into skateboarding too? Really, I did not know that. He is Little Wayne into I only, skateboarding. I only know that because I watched the X Games one time in the last twenty years, and he was a commentator. Dude, remember back when the X Games used to be so dang good? Whatever happened to street douche? Oh my god, Dan! I, I still, me and my cousin were talking about it. Something came up like anniversary of you know whatever last year. And we were talking about where we were at when Tony Hawk hit the 900. And how that, like, that was just like the coolest thing ever. Like, everybody's up there like, come on, Tony, you can do it. You know, it was like late at night. And we're like, yeah, let's go, Tony. And then he hits it. We're like, yeah. But then it's like, like eh. well, Where do they go from there? Oh, right? yeah. Like, you hit the 900. Nobody's ever done it. But now they're doing double front flips on dirt bikes, I guess. Oh, dude, it's crazy. I think the last thing I saw from X Games was probably like five or six years ago when the guy went like way up with a skateboard because I got that like big air competition now. He went like 40 feet up in the air and he just came down right on his ass. His shoes went flying off, skateboard left him, and he just hit the ramp. I was like, oh my gosh. But now it's like three days. It used to be like two weeks appointment viewing for those of us who were kids and didn't have to go to school. That was like your summer surrounded around X Games, a little TRL, and then more X Games. That's why I love the street luge. Because street luge was like skateboarding mixed in with racing, which equaled death. And didn't they have like the hay barrels and stuff up too? They did, dude. And if you and if you ate it, like there was no coming back from it. Oh, you're just done. That's it. I think they should bring back street luge. They should bring back a lot of things. But they probably got rid of it because it wasn't making money. So I guess I'm not going to uh, tell somebody how they should make money. But again, we're in quarantine life, so trying times. How's your quarantine okay. going? You know, quarantine has been pretty good overall for us. Thankfully, no no positive cases for for family or employees. Um, and we're in a little bit of a different scenario where our business. Being in highway construction, we considered an essential business. Right. And we were already uh, kind of ahead of the curve with the leadership of, of Rachel, my wife, and how she structured the company being a remote-type business anyway. And so it just kind of happened to where the quarantine life for us is business as usual. I was going to um, ask, what I exactly do you do? Because I don't think I know. So in 2000 and 
2017, uh, end of 2017, um, Rachel, my amazing wife, she said, you know what? We should start a construction company. And I've been in highway construction my entire career since I was a, a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And so I started reaching out to my contacts, trying to find, you know, where is the best avenue to go to help the industry? And it just so happened to be um, doing concrete. So for a really good example, any of the sidewalks that you jog up and down, any of the curb and gutters, some stuff that's under the ground that you may not see, um, our company, ECS Concrete, provides those products um, for the public entity. So any type of highway construction, um, we're involved in, and we and we try to do. And in 2018, I straight up walked away from my day job. And with Rachel working from home and I started out in the field, um, we started with three employees, June 18th, 2018. And as of today, uh, we're still in business. We have 20 employees which is great. We get to run the business from home. We get to spend the days with our kids, um, especially now with quarantine. Sometimes we wish we could send them back to school. <laughs> but I'm um, there with so, you. Right? Yeah, you know how that feels. And so that's kind of what we do, man. And and uh, now we're, we're starting to look to expand and, and how can we grow um, into not just doing that as well. So that's that's kind of that in a nutshell. So has the pandemic that we've been going on here the last month and a half, has that hurt business, help business? Neither, to be completely honest with really? you. Uh, yeah, and, and like I say, I think we're just, we just happen to be in a very specific sector to where the pandemic has not affected us at all. Now, our company has had to take specific safety concerns right. and strategies um, over and above what we typically already do on a daily basis, given the pandemic and, and following the CDC guidelines and, and maybe even a little more stringent, right? Um, because what we do in our type of work, we we have to be in a group of people just with our own team. And so taking those extra steps um, for st- strategic safety practices, um, we do and we have taken on those things. But as far as the business coming in, I would almost say that the amount of emails that I get on a daily basis of other companies or other general contractors asking us to send them pricing for work has almost increased since the pandemic. Nice. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that because the, we, are, we focus on publicly funded type of construction. And so when the economy takes a dip, what's the first thing that the government does is they pump money right into their infrastructure improvements. And here we are as a small business hoping to benefit from all of that. Well, rock on. I did not know what you did. I didn't think I knew what you did back then. Nope, nope. I, uh, <laughs> I think more, more than anything back then, I was just uh, racing and and, uh, and and trying to make it, right, trying to decide right. what we were going to do. Um, but over the last couple of years, it's all kind of taken shape. So when did you start racing? I started racing 2019. And 
my dad you started racing 2019 2019 last year uh, my grad sorry what is <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you uh, <laughs> not 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 trying to call you out here but i think some numbers don't match up <laughs> I, I, I started racing when I was 19. There you go. In the, in 2003, that's when I started racing. Now, my journey started, so it goes back before I was even born. You know, my old man um, raced super modifieds uh, in the early 80s, maybe late 70s, early 80s, up until I was born. And then, you know, what it's like sometimes when you have kids, you have to take a step back and Mm -hmm. kind of regroup. And then sometime early in high school, my dad decided it was time to get back in it. So he bought a sprint car and and he did the driving uh, for another five or six years. And he would run around with uh, what was SCOA, Sprint Car Owners of Arizona back in the day, the Wayne 410 group that was here locally. Um, and then he did dabble a little bit in the non-wing stuff at Manzanita as well. And, and, and at, at the time when I turned 19 years old, I had done a couple, couple years of, of some practice nights and no formative driving training, mm-hmm. um, like these kids have today, even, even some of our own kids, right? Haley and Taylor, they started driving go-karts when they were five, six, seven years old. Right. Well, anyways, I was. 19 years old, you know, for me to be able to get any time, any kind of track time, we lived in Globe. And about the only time that I could ever get in a car would be on a practice night at Manzanita, which were on Tuesday nights. So my dad would schedule, hey, we're going to go down to practice night. I'm going to turn some laps, but then also you can get in and fire the car up and take a couple laps. And at this time I was 15, 16, 17 years old. And I had never driven anything more powerful than I, like my 1985 S10 pickup, you know, that I was running around town in. And at the time that I turned 19, my dad said, Hey, it's your turn. And he, he basically just turned over the steering wheel to me. Um, and that's how I got my start in driving. Um, was, was that it was, uh, and it was an eye-opening experience to just jump in and take off. Did Funny you tear story. a lot of shit up? Dude, I still do. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still do <laughs> when I jump in the car. Um, matter of fact, my very first race was at El Centro. El Centro, California. Mm-hmm. It was what well, was the first go-around of the USAC Southwest series. Oh, so that they, was, there, the USAC Southwest was like back in the day too. Yeah, it was back in the day. Yeah, it was I did like not know 2000. that. Yeah, man, it was a one, o two, o three ish. Okay. Um, and that was actually so we, we can go on to another story there about how those guys loaded up and went to Hawaii to race. Wow, um, that's a cool story. But so my first race was with the then USAC Southwest series back in the early 2000s, and. Uh, that is where I had my very first introduction to pretty much everything. I had never qualified anything, any type of race car, <laughs> go out for qualification and do the things that you're required to do as a driver for qualifying, right? Right. Which which is pretty much let it all hang out. Um, and then also I had my very first experience of watching somebody really tear some shit up, um, which was um, 
rest his soul, Mike Boat, who um, was a leader, you know, in the USAC Southwest Series at the time. And I remember I was probably, now picture this, I was probably about a quarter lap behind everybody, right, uh, flying my yellow caution flag off, off the cage. Yeah, getting your feet wet, dabbling. Getting, getting my feet wet, right? And I remember coming through the apex of one and two, trying to get going down the straightaway. And up in the air, I see the blue and orange number 74 of Mike Boat starting to come down, right? And bam, he landed right in front of me. And I, I locked the thing up, full lock, sideways. And I just added insult to his injury of his race car. <laughs> and I just landed, you know, skidding, right? And, and hit the down tubes of his car, slid up on his down tubes, and came to a stop right on top of his car, which I had no business doing, seeing as how I was already a quarter lap behind him. Right. And I remember, and I was almost eye-to-eye with Mike, and he, it, was, it, was, it was a hard tumble. He's out of breath, right? He's trying, to, he's trying to get his bearings back together. I just looked at him, and I'm like, I'm sorry, Mike. Not knowing, right, that he probably didn't even give, he probably didn't even care that I was there, right? Because right? he was just trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Like I've been a couple times now. And, so in, um, in so like a crash like that, are you like more mesmerized? Like were you watching the crash happen and not like, oh crap, I got a break? I think I probably was. <laughs> I think that's probably exactly what was happening uh, because there's so many things, right? There's so many things that are going on, especially your first time. Not only your first time, you know, trying to trying to compete, but also hanging on to everything, right? So you have all of these all of these different sensations and experiences flying at you in the face all at one time. And you're trying to, to gather all of that data and, and transfer it all into what's happening. Right. And, and so for the first time as a fan, right, you see cars crash and, and you watch it over and over and over again, almost every time you go to the racetrack. Right. But it's a completely different realization when you're in the car behind somebody watching it happen. Right. And, and you go and something different happens. And I think I got caught watching that whole episode unfold in front of me. Um, and I quickly learned my lesson, uh, what should be happening when that's going on in front of you. Oh yeah. I mean, you, I did the mechanics race last year. I was just in a bomber, but you see somebody spinning out to your left. You're looking like, huh. then you hit somebody like with your passenger side door. Like, Oh crap. Sorry about that. I was looking. How was that by the way, driving a bomber? One of my one of my goals still is to be able to run a bomber enduro. I want to give it another go. I I, I could have done more, but I was timid, man, because I was in Michael Sabowski's car and he has like the fastest hot rod when it comes to bomber <laughs> racing at ET. So I was like, all right, don't want to like go full bore here and you know, end up wadding the thing up in the fence. So I was I was a little timid, but uh, I definitely want to give it another try. Do you think you'd stand on the gas next time? Yeah. I, I think I, think I would at least try to, you know, well, cause it's funny. So I thought, you know, there's a few laps in there where I was like hanging tough, like, all right, you know, passing some people and it was just a caution field race, whatever. There's a few laps where I was like, you know, I thought I was letting it hang out like, yeah, all right, I'm going places. And then like I get in the pits and <laughs> Aaron Collier, he's like, dude, you had so much more throttle that you could have given that thing. I was like, yeah, well, I don't want to tear it up. You know how many times I've heard that in my life? Oh, about a bunch. <laughs> there was- there was so much more throttle you could have given that thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, well, yeah, I know, but kind of the same situation as you, right? Like 
Well, it wasn't my car, and I ain't tearing it up. I ain't paying the bills. <laughs> I got my own stuff That's to worry true. about. That's true. So if you do have any Balmer owners out there who would be willing to let a rookie take a shot, I'm available for the New Year's Balmer Enduro at ET. Oh, heck yeah, let's do it. You know, Rachel's over there looking at me like, no, you're not. <laughs> Dude, yeah, so married now, man. How's married life been? Best thing I've ever done in my life. 100%. Because I remember me and you, we used, to, we used to hang out. We used to throw some back. It, would, it wouldn't be like a planned thing. Hey, you going out tonight? We just always would run into each other at local establishments. It, it always happened, and it always happened to be at the same place, oddly enough. Yeah, Toby Keese. Toby Keese, rest in peace. Right? Rest in peace, exactly, man. Some good stories there. <laughs> you know, but but even, yeah, but I don't, I, there's no way that I could even throw them back today like I could then. Oh, no, same here. Like, I'm only 32, and I think, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to throttle back a little bit. But, I, like, I'll go out with, like, my softball team. After a few beers, I'm like, yeah, time for me to hit hit the house. We're back in the day. It used to be like I want to go out. I was tell I was talking to Steve McCollum, who does all the video work with Gestalt Production out the racetrack, and I was like, "Dude, I know I don't go out drinking anymore, but after this whole quarantine thing is done, I just want to go out and get ripped at a bar one night." That that would be fun, and that sounds like a great time. But then I think about the aftermath. Yeah, the morning after. It's not even the morning after for me anymore. It's like the next three mornings. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't. I don't know what happened. I don't know. Maybe I was just. I'm just getting soft, right? It's age, uh, man. It comes at us like our bodies aren't the same. It just. It, it's a weird thing that happened, dude. And I'll tell you what. Like, I, so at some point, right? I started making that transition from like an 11 p.m. midnight bedtime was kind of the normal thing, dude. It's like as soon as the sun goes down now, like, I'm I'm done. Oh like, yeah, well, we we started. We put the kids down at eight thirty, and I'm like, "All right, let's go to bed." Same. And we t- we turn something on Netflix or you know watch some show, and I'm passing out halfway through it. Came and stay up. Same, and it's like I've traded. Seems like I've traded the nighttime party routine for the early morning uh, business routine. Well, you're about to have some uh, nighttime kind of parties there, as a you are like myself are expecting a child. Man, how how exciting is that? Number four. Number four. Right? This will be number four running around in the household. And we're putting it out there. We're going to put it out there in the universe. Well, actually, we already are putting it out there in the universe. It's a boy. It's, it's a, boy. a boy. Breaking news right yeah. here on the podcast. It's a boy. However, we're not going to find out. Right? So what? There, will be, there will be no gender reveal parties. There will be no pink or blue baby powder flying through the air it's like that's the ultimate surprise in life right so you know it's a boy but you don't know it's a boy we're just putting it out there in the universe man oh okay i get you yeah if you put it out uh, it's a boy it's gonna be a boy yeah not gonna be disappointed if it's not but we're gonna put it out there oh yeah we're expecting and i was like team boy all the way we got the uh the blood work done so we found out like before whatever and we were sitting at a restaurant. She's like, I want to go out to eat. So we find out, and you know, she, the whole time, Sam's like, I want a girl. The kids, uh, we have a 10-year-old. Her, her kids are 10 and 8. 10-year-old's a daughter. 8-year-old's a boy. He's like, I want a boy. And, of course, I got Nolan as well. And she's all like, I, I feel like it's a girl. I, I really do feel it's a girl. And 
everybody in her family. She has like 12 brothers and sisters and there's nine girls. So everybody is a girl, all of her nieces and nephews. Like she has more nieces and nephews. There's only like five nephews to like 20 nieces. So I'm like, man, this is going to be a girl. Here we go. And sure enough, that thing pulled up blue and I was pretty ecstatic. I mean, but like you said, I would have been happy either way, but just something about a boy. Sure. Especially when you are living with a 10 year old girl, you're like, that's a lot of emotions right there. I don't know if I want to go through that again. <laughs> Dude, so just just hang on. You got a couple more years before before that fun really starts. <laughs> um, that's what I hear, anyways. Yeah, and uh, that that's kind of like us, right? So it's like, besides myself and the dog, you know, uh, the ratio, the female to male ratio in this household is is not real strong on the guy side, <laughs> right. right? So I feel like we kind of need to to balance out that teeter totter a little bit, a little bit. Um, but I'm confident that, um, we'll be just fine. I know exactly what to do with girls. Right. Right. So, so it's like, okay. Um, if, if she shows up, uh, we know exactly what to do. If he shows up, I got a shovel waiting for him. Right. (laughs) Go clean the backyard. Right. Go pick up the dog poop. How I look go, at it. go mow the grass. I was, we were like, we started like at houses. So I'm like looking at houses. I'm like, man, you know, do I want a yard? I was like, yeah, it'd be nice to mow. And then, you know, when Anthony's 12, he can start mowing the yard for me. <laughs> I'm like looking at it like that. Dude, that's the best way to do it. Right? Oh, like, yeah. well, how, else, how else are they going to learn the value of hard work? Yeah, value hard work, a dollar, all that stuff. I feel like kids these days, it's all that TikTok and whatever the heck else they do. I feel like it's all they do. YouTube and TikTok. They would not know what to do if it wasn't for YouTube and TikTok. Dude, it's crazy, right? I don't know if you hit uh, that stage yet, but ugh. The TikTok thing doesn't really... No, we're not really into the TikTok thing, or maybe I just don't know that the kids are into the TikTok thing. Yeah. Which is completely possible. But the YouTube world... Dude, the, there are so many... Like, I, I value YouTube just because I get to watch car races for as much as I want. Right. Right. Um, but there are some, there's some weird shit out there, man. Oh yeah. There definitely is some weird stuff. <laughs> it's like, okay. So YouTube, this is probably one of the biggest things that I don't understand about YouTube. And this is probably the same argument that a lot of parents have, but the kids will sit and watch YouTube videos of other kids playing with toys. Oh, yeah. That little was a Ralph or something like that? Oh, no, dude. Ryan. Ryan, yeah, that's his name, Ryan. That little jerk. That just millionaire jerk. Right. (laughs) Eight-year-old jerk kid. Like, if I would have known that I could be a gazillionaire just by playing with toys and having a video camera on me, I definitely would have done that. Oh, yeah. Totally. I, I think that's why most people are upset. Like, most adults are like, this stupid kid. People watching this is like, how did we not come up with that idea? That's how I feel about it. Like, I'm, I'm jealous that I didn't come up with the idea. It's hilarious. It's not so much that the video is annoying, it's that you're jealous. Right? So everything about oh, it just makes you hate it. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know what? That's that kid. So... I realize a little bit of racing news to get into. Uh, obviously, uh, big news last week. Um, Kyle Larson, who, I mean, if you're in dirt racing, you hold near and dear to your heart. Because he is, uh, you know, one of those talents, you know, generational talent, I guess you can say, who, you know, made a big time in NASCAR and was on his 
way to some more big things. Um, got caught saying a word, which I mean, I know you and me, we hear it a lot in the pits. Uh, you know, and it's not right. I agree. I mean, Dennis Guile came out the post last week saying he hears a lot and he's not a fan of it. I look the other way whenever I hear it. I don't partake in it, but it's definitely a word that's out there in the pits. And Kyle Larson, I think he kind of let his dirt side hang out a little bit last week, and it's going to cost him some money. Uh, do you have an opinion on Kyle's comment one way or the other? I, I, me personally, I see these people trying to justify it, and I just can't live on the justification of saying the word. I mean, the word is the word. It doesn't matter how you say it. It's still the word. And I just... I don't know. I, I just I just have a hard time with people trying to justify it. I'm with you. There is just no justification in using the word at all, right? Um, and I think that there's probably nothing more than you or I could say about it. I think um, Dale Jr. hit it pretty well in his podcast. I don't know if you heard that or saw that transcript. Um, but essentially, you know, he was saying that if you don't have that word in your vocabulary at all, you don't have to worry about being safe. No, oh, yeah. Right. Or being about more being conservative. Right. And, and I think that so hard, man, cause you're right. He is, a, a, a extremely talented once in a generation type situation. And if you're asking, so my personal opinion is, and, and I'm, and this is my opinion about a lot of things ever since I've been self-employed and in business for myself, which is, I think that the true character of a person is, I, uh, is, is um, explained by what you do and say when people, when you think people aren't watching right. or listening. And that's not to say that he isn't of true good character, but it came out and it came out like it did. Right. And so, and I think that's probably why um, the, 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 the swift action was taken as it was. Oh yeah. Right. Not just because of the word, but it's like, okay. It was because of the word, but it's also just the fact that it was just there. And how easy it came out. Right. I mean, and And, and this isn't the first time, I've said this before, like this isn't the first time that NASCAR has had to deal with this. Uh, Jeremy Clements, he's an extending series driver for those of you that don't know. Back in 2013, he got used up on the racetrack and one of the common sayings in racing, especially in the short track, is, oh, that guy bleeped me. And, you know, I've heard it a lot of times. Um, and he said that and he got suspended like, I mean, it was two weeks, but he drove for his own team. So the consequences weren't really there and the repercussions that he's feeling. I mean, I think he probably, I mean, he was a pretty good driver. He probably could have got a lot more sponsors, but I mean, he's had to rebuild his, uh, his racing career up since using that word. And I feel like all those people that say, oh, well, Larson doesn't care about NASCAR. You could tell he was crying in that video. Like he, I think he knew a lot more than what he led on when he did that apology video. But you could tell he was crying. And from what I hear, he's already enrolled in the road to uh, recovery and all this stuff, trying to uh, get his life back. So I do wish I the best. Be a, yeah, I mean, we live in the, the, well, given everything going on, 
I mean, the United States is still the greatest country in the world, right? And it's it's a country of first, it's a, it's a country of initial and second chances, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the some of the greatest women and men in history have all failed, right? Um, some only once, and some more than once, right? But it's a long road back to to the prominence. Right to the promised land of of, of success. Um, so clearly, he has all the talent in the world. Right. So if he was judged based on talent alone, he would be there. You know, he would he would get back. Uh, but you you kind of hit on the NASCAR thing, and and I don't know if you watched. Did you watch the documentary on on Netflix of uh, Willie T. Ribs? I haven't watched it yet. I did hear good Amazing. things about it. I've not watched it yet. We uh we just wrapped up the Tiger King stuff. And now I watched the first couple episodes. Did you watch Tiger King? Uh, I I'm a big fan of the of the entertainment value now. <laughs> oh yeah. And How uh, can you not? I just wrapped up those first two episodes of uh The Last Dance, that Bulls documentary. That's that was, that's some pretty good stuff on ESPN too. I cannot wait for Sunday. Are they streaming the whole thing right now? Uh, no, not, you, not the whole thing. They, I, so I guess they're doing two episodes, which I didn't realize. I thought they were just doing like one at a time. I didn't realize it was 10 episodes, but they're doing the two episodes every Sunday. So I get done watching the first episode Sunday night. And it's like episode two. I was like, what? Really? There's a second episode? <laughs> I was like, I ain't staying up to watch this. Bonus, right? And and, they're, and it's a fantastic documentary. Uh, but the yeah, definitely put the Willie T. Ribs documentary on your on your watch list. Um, and, and that kind of shed some light on it, man. That dude was really, really good. Like he was an amazing race car driver mm-hmm. and, and he made huge sacrifices. And not only did he make huge sacrifices, but he fought an uphill battle the whole way. Right. Right. And he, the, the talent that he carried was phenomenal. And so the, so the documentary does a really good job of doing a couple of things, uh, one of which showing you know exactly how good of a race car driver he was, probably still is, but was, right, in the prime of his career. But it also it shed light on uh, the, the struggles that he had because of who he was, right? And it touches a little bit on the NASCAR thing, too. And so that's why when you see some of these some of these. Uh, you know, write-ups or stories and out there, um, you know, it does. It, it's going to have an effect, unfortunately. Um, but going back to the Willie T. Ripsing, man, he had to do he, – he faced some of the nastiest stuff, right? And it's stupid. It's oh, absolutely yeah. stupid that he had to face any of that. And he actually and, talked to and, Kyle last week, too. Did he? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, he said uh, – pretty much uh, he came on and said, I know what setbacks are like and that they hurt. He said, I've said some things I agree over the years. And he said, I told him that it wasn't – that he wasn't OJ and he didn't kill anybody. He just hurt some feelings and they can be repaired. <laughs> he, dropped, he dropped the OJ ball. Yeah, don't worry, man. You're not OJ. You're good. And, 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 you know, and and uh, and that would be a good dude to talk to, right? Oh, yeah. And, and so that's really cool that somebody like – Willie T. Ribs would reach out and say, look, man, you know, and maybe he'll, and, and it would probably do huge things, man, if that guy was willing to just wrap his arm around Kyle's neck, right, and be like, come on, man, I'm going to lead you back. Right? Oh, yeah. And that would be, that would be the, that would be the ending to the story 
that everybody would want to see. They should want to see. Oh, totally. Right? Like, I'm not on Facebook anymore. I had to get off of Facebook. I had to get rid of that thing. I don't blame um, so, so I get a lot of my news just from, you know, doing Google searches, right, and, and reading news feeds that way, right? And I did see it's like I, I understand that certain athletes are upset, right? Rightfully so. Should be upset. But, like, the dude that wants to fight Kyle Larson. Marcus Stroman. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, the answer to hate is not violence. Right, right. Like, coming out and saying I want to fight you, regardless of the fact that the guy was even like, "Oh, I'm going to have to wait till my baseball career is over." Yeah, we got to like, wait till we're old and retired, then we can fight. And oh, by the way, right. let's get Dana White to do this so we can make money at it. <laughs> sure, and uh, well, I, I was halfway joking, but if the guy was like, "I'm going to have to wait till my baseball career is over to fight Kyle Larson," that must mean that he's scared that Kyle Larson could win. <laughs> right. Has to bulk up a little in, bit, in a, in a weird way, right? But I mean, the whole thing is just—it's super. It's—it it, it was like a bomb, right? Boom, went off. And um, I think with you know the help of Willie T. Ribs and going through uh, you know the programs that he's going to go through, um, I hope I hope he can you know, can turn things around for himself. I mean, everybody deserves a a chance to turn things around. Oh, definitely do. So a few years, when when did we meet? 20, my first year was 2012. So I remember you driving, you, you said that you, when I reached out to you, you said that you were a washed up racer. And I said, Hey, you know, (laughs) you you weren't that bad. You finished third in one race. I called, Uh, I I think that was your only podium finish that I called. I think that was the 57 wing car. At Canyon, back in like 2013, I believe. But I think the fact that you're forgetting is that only three cars finished. Right. But it was a heck of no. a battle. And yeah, I think you led like within five laps, right? I, I, I was there, man. So It was like you, RJ, and somebody else. Who was the other person? It was Zeal. Was it Zeal? Zeal was, well, I think Zeal was so far out in the front, you know. Um, but yeah, so... so that all kind of came together. So it was, I'm trying to think of when we, so we, we ran non-wing cars from 03, you know, when I started, right, all the way up until almost, I'm going to say 13 or 14. That's all we did. We just focused strictly on, on uh, non-wing racing uh, with, with the exception of, I think, maybe one or two shows down in at uh, Tucson. Um, and so, at somewhere 12, 13, 14, uh, we decided, you know what, let's, let's try some wing racing. And we had a good relationship um, with Steve Stone. And I called him up and said, hey, you know, you want to do something together? And he, yeah, great dude, right? Yeah. And he, he, just, want, he just wants to go racing. Oh, yeah. Heck and, and so he was like, yeah. So he was like, yeah, man, let's go do it. Let's go try it. And so we put... Um, Matter of fact, we had this motor, I think we called it the junkyard dog, because <laughs> this thing, you know, it just ran. That was all it did. Didn't run real good, but it just ran every time we needed it to run, right? And and, and knowing that it was the first wing show, that was actually well, like one of my first or second wing shows ever was the one you're talking about. And I had really no idea what I was doing. Yeah, um, I, think a wing told, car. I think you told me that on the front stretch, too. 
Yeah, I had really zero, you know, idea what I was doing. And everything that I was doing, I was learning from from Steve and and um, the guy that was helping set up the race car. And and I just went out, and for whatever reason, they they nailed the setup. Um, we got, I think, we had a decent starting position. If I remember correctly, there was hellaciously windy that day as well. So, um, you know, it's hard to keep a racetrack good, right? So I kind of lucked right. out there too. But it was a combination of things. It was just a combination of the fact that that, that Steve does a good job of setting up a wing car. Um, we had this really underpowered engine in the car, which kind of helped me, I think, because. I was able to do things that I probably wouldn't have been able to do if I had too much horsepower, right? And somehow we came out of there with a podium finish, which was probably um, my first podium finish ever, you know, um, when, since we started racing. And those were good times. And that kind of set about this journey into wing racing up until – uh, the end of 2017, when we kind of pumped the brakes and decided that it was time to focus on business, right? Uh, so that we could get back into racing um, in the future. And so I think that's when we when we kind of officially started this bromance, as you would call it, <laughs> the bromance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to trying to go two stepping at Toby Keith. Oh, we used to tear it up, have some good times. Which, if I remember correctly, you were always much better at it than I was. Yes, I was always way better at two-stepping than you. But you have a, an advantage, though, right? I mean, what, being, being from, from the Texas? Lone Star State, <laughs> right? it's like it's like in, ingrained in you, right? I feel like it is, probably. I think you have to be. Yeah, like, I, I learned how to two-step when I was 18, wearing flip-flops at this bar in Texas called Cowboys. Uh, who, uh, Chris, was it with another cowboy? No, it's called Cowboys. The bar was. Oh, it was called Cowboys. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Um, it was in Arlington, Texas. Chris Young, who is a popular country singer now, he actually used to be the house band guy there. Interesting. And like during in between the sets, uh, one of my buddies was like friends with him, so we'd like tear it up with him back in the day before he became something. He actually went to like Nashville Star, I think, to make a name for himself. I think I saw that dude one time. I think I saw that dude at Apache Gold Casino. Probably. Which is very possible. He does, he possible does the uh, casino tours. So those, but those are some of the best, right? Oh, like yeah. Those are some of the best concerts. Oh, I'll take a concert yeah. at a dive bar any day of the week over something in some big hall. I've always thought, like, why, 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 we should combine the racing and the dive bar concert scene together. Dude, right. I'm a I'm a big fan. I think uh, you know I'd love to have a race theme type bar. I just don't know how good it would do when you want a race theme bar open on a Saturday night, and that's when racing happens. Well, why not just take the the bar to the to the track? Hey, there you go. That's kind of what I was thinking, uh, but I don't know what all that entails. Um, <laughs> one thing I'm not, and I'll be straight up, is I'm definitely not a racetrack promoter. Right? Oh my so, gosh, I, I don't know what all that takes. I couldn't um, imagine being a racetrack promoter right now with everything going on. I mean, part of me like hopes like once everything gets kind of lifted, which I think May 1st is still the plan for out here in Arizona, a soft plan. And I've kind of always said, like I've talked to Jonah a little bit and, you know, he's fought back at me some things. I'm like, you know, what? I think Memorial Day we could probably get a race in. 
I honestly feel like Memorial Day would be like the date and it'd be great for, you know, just the country in general. Memorial Day racing, two day show, you know, we got I think we have the late models that weekend. I think that would be like the set date, but I really hope that the promoters around here can kind of get together and put all their petty BS aside and try to work together to maximize the schedule, what little schedule we're going to have for all the racers. There's got to be a way, right? There's got to be a um, way. There's, there's got to be a way to do that because now more than ever, uh, the promoters need to make money, right? Promoters need to provide for their families. Mm-hmm. Um, racers want to race and fans want to be entertained. Right? So those three elements, right, are, are bound to collide at some point, and we can only hope that the three, I guess, yeah, the three, four racetracks that we have here would come together and do something extremely um, advantageous for all three of those parties. Right. You know, it's going to be a struggle to make up everything that they've lost, you know, um, at being a business owner, it it makes my stomach turn when I think about the, the cash flow that these guys are losing out on, right, to provide for their families mm-hmm. uh, and, and the people that they love and people that they take care of. And so I understand that they've got, they, you know, they've, they've got to get back to business as soon as possible. Uh, but there's also, and I think a lot of the fans are going to be ready to turn out as well. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, people have been just been living inside their house. I mean, hey, I mean, there's that track in South Dakota going to have a race this weekend. Sprint car race, Jefferson Speedway. They, they're they going to do like CDC guidelines, but they sold out 700 tickets. Sold out 700 tickets. They're only letting in, I think, what, 32 cars enter the race, 32 sprint cars, and I think they 32 IMs. 32 IMCA modified right. or something. I don't know exactly what the number is, but it's it's full, right? Oh, yeah. It's com- it's completely full, and that's going to be happening this weekend. Um, ironically enough, I was uh, messing around on iRacing last night, and in one of the races that I was playing around in, there were there was one um, outlaw, World of Outlaw sprint car driver, in, in the room, right? And so there were some guys asking him if he was going to be participating in that race. Um, and it's unfortunate that um, sometimes these governing bodies of racing have so much control over the competitors sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because this guy um, said out loud, we can't. We've been told that we can't participate. And that's a bummer, right? Because... Oh, yeah. People, people want to see the, the best dudes racing, right? Um, now, granted, whether or not he would have got his entry in before the 32, uh, before the cutoff, or however that works, I don't know any of the details. Oh, yeah, I mean, the fact that, I just know they're know, doing it, I, and it showed up on the ticker on ESPN today. Like, how cool is yeah. that? Like, dirt racing is getting mentioned on ESPN. Whether, I mean, ESPN is trying to shed a bad light on it, but still, it's getting mentioned. It's getting mentioned, right? I guess you could take that old adage of any press is good press, right? In a way, you know, and and do that type of thing. So that thing is happening this weekend. Um, I, I would think hope, I saw I they're going to do a Sunday is it race be on Dirt Vision or something. Uh, Speed Shift's doing it. I saw uh, Chet Christner post something out that he's uh, ready to rock and roll. That guy is such a badass dude. Oh my gosh, he is phenomenal. I love. Yeah. Uh, I actually got the chance to work with them last couple of years. 
uh, doing some speech stuff down at Central Arizona Speedway, and then this year they did the modified tour, and it's just like the stuff he that comes out of his mouth, and what he says, it's just like, oh my gosh. One of my favorites. He's dangling the donuts. Mm-hmm. You know, sprint car doing a sprint car doing a wheel stand down the back straight away, and he's dangling the donuts. Always coming across yeah. the snoot. I, I don't know. Like I just love the word snoot for some reason. That's right, man. Yeah, so, yeah, that McCarl is stepping up in a big way to put this race together. Uh, and I, I think that's just one of those things where these dudes got to do what they have to do to make some money, right? And if you can put something together and you can get the support of the local government of the, and the spectators and, you know, spectators and competitors, it's like, why not do it, right? Because he's not going to be able to sell out the grandstands. He just can't. But the fact that he was able to get 700 tickets sold, right, that shows that people are ready are ready to go. Oh, yeah. You know. Um, now, this is a, uh, a thought from the Twilight Zone, right? This is just my own personal thought. I have no agenda, nothing, right? But mm-hmm. I thought for a long time that Arizona is in need for a major paradigm shift in the, in the time of year that we race. And which means like, and I don't know, I'm no professional with this, but it seems seems to me that maybe like a Labor Day to Memorial Day type schedule, right, would be cool because we, t- we don't have to race in the middle of the summer. All right. It, and maybe somehow it's a way to take this pandemic situation and adjust. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of sports are going to turn, like, the negative into a positive. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, you know, looking at, like, big four sports outside of racing, but, like, NBA, if they're like, you know what, maybe our schedule is too long. And whatever they decide to do, if they, you know, play playoffs this year and then kind of work into next season, takes shave some games off, Start. I heard some people say start the season at Christmas because that's when people start paying attention. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Because some of these things, they feel like there are way too many games. Some people think there's way too many races. I've been kind of keeping up on Twitter with, like, NASCAR. I mean, they're going to benefit huge, I think, when all this stuff is said and done um, with just, like, the races that they're doing. I think they're going to do midweek races, which they've already been talking about doing in future schedules. So I think this is, like, a good trial run. Let's see if it works out. If it does, it does. If it doesn't, all right, we'll redo the schedule for next year. But I think, uh, yeah, something like that with uh, the dirt track scene, would be something cool because I mean, what do we do? I, mean, I pretty much take December off, but then we're right back into it in January, so not really doing much. I'd be down for a little Santa Claus shuffle. Yeah, exactly. Right, <clears throat> you could do whatever that was, and I, I think you know, uh, Greg Burgess touched on touched on it a little bit um, when he was down in Yuma trying to do that whole well, what did he call it? The, the winter, winter heat. heat. Yeah, winter heat's cool. We always have the late model thing going on. Um, early thought. I, when I was growing up, it was called early thought. I don't know if it's still called that anymore. Um, oh, we got the Wild West Shootout now at ET. Wild West Shootout. And you have the yeah. Winter Challenge at uh, Canyon. And it does what? They do that because all of the big names are looking for somewhere to race. And so it's like, why couldn't we? And again, I'm not a promoter and I don't know all the ins and outs, right? I'm sure there's just as many um, arguments on the con side of it as there are on the pro side of it. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm sure. Um, So, but, you know, if they got all the guys from Indiana, they got, you know, they need somewhere to race too. They need somewhere to, they're going to Australia, right? 
So it's like, why couldn't you take that business model and move it to Arizona um, and maybe even into Southern California? I think it would work. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, I'm not the guy who's been successful at promoting, so, um, but it's just kind of a crazy, crazy idea. No, you I definitely know, it, feel like it, it would work. Especially, I mean, you mentioned California. Their governor's talking about, we're not doing anything until September. Why not get USAC CRA and make Arizona kind of be a USAC CRA hotbed now? Like, what if Oval National started the season? Hmm. Like, what if Western and Oval started the year? Because, you know, sometimes, and, and I only say this just because I ran so many years on a shoestring budget of going racing, by the time you get to the end of the year, you're like, you're out of money, right? Oh, yeah. Your, shit, your shit's wore out, right? And for guys that are coming from Indiana, it's like, you have to grind, right, to drive all the way across town, or across the country at the end of the year. Right. Like So, like, what if, like, what does that look like? Like, what does the racing universe look like when the big races start the year? Oh, yeah. I mean, you look I, at Gator Nationals in Florida. I mean, they start there for a reason, and car counts are great. I would love to get that here. I mean, the thing I miss the most about, you know, when I first started, like, we used to be able to have enough cars to run two qualifying nights for the Western and then a f- feature night, which was phenomenal. Dude, yeah, even, so if you go back to, you know, Manzanita, it was almost, it was like a four-night event. Right. If I remember correctly. You know, we were having to jockey, in on the 360 side of things anyways, um, we were always, Tuesday night was practice, and then, you were always split up between a Wednesday and Thursday, and then there was the Friday Saturday. I think if I think that's right, I, I could be wrong, but it was definitely, you know, more attention from the competitor side than there are now. You're absolutely right. So to get off of racing real quick, uh, I used to do a little bit of a radio work, I guess you can say, with uh, Casey Buckman. Uh, we actually had Casey on the show last. Uh, Last year, he talked. He had good things to say about you when you guys were uh, doing that whole uh, deal. Is it something you want to get back into? Maybe some podcasts and whatnot. We've talked about it. You know, we we've talked about it a little bit. That was something that was really fun to do, and it just kind of came about because um, for a while there, we we were partnered up with uh, with a radio station on the race car side of things, just trying to do some creative type advertising, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And, uh, a lot of times, um, good ideas come out of necessity, right? right? Um, necessity is the mother of all creation, I guess, is a good way to put that. And so we were always looking at ways of trying to bring in some additional funds. And so that happened just by partnering up with the radio station. And then the radio station came to the racetrack, and they thought, man, you know, they saw all the people in the grandstands, and they thought, yeah, that'd be cool to do something. So Casey and I went out, and we decided to try to do something together. And it was fun. It was fun. And it, it was something that we enjoyed doing. The only downfall for me was I was working out of town, right? And right. so I would have to um, drive down to the studio, which was in Tempe, every, I think we were doing it on Tuesdays. And, and then so I would have to leave work, drive two hours down to the studio in Tempe, and then drive two hours back. And eventually it just, it just stopped being fun, right. really. Is, is what it was because it was something to do for fun. And I always thought it would be cool. Like what you're doing, um, the racing, especially the local racing, it, it, it's needed. 
right? Because it gives people the the ability to be involved, right? Um, you get some of the guys, Charles Davis Jr., RJ, um, you know, on the on the wing side of things. You get Billy Chester and Alex Pettis and Casey Buckman. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of guys, but it gives people the ability to be like, hey, you know, I can listen to them. I can be entertained. They can listen to stories, kind of like we're doing right now. And so it's needed. And, and I think that doing a podcast, or I think podcast is 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 probably the way to go if I was going to do something. Um, because correct me if I'm wrong, but you're doing this on your own time, right? right. Um, it's your show. You don't necessarily have to go out and worry about trying to get funding to pay for the airtime, right? Oh, hey, response is always welcome. <laughs> always, right? Revenue is always our friend. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, it's just got to be the right thing. It's got to be fun. It's got to, you know, be entertaining. People got to want to listen. Oh, yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine if it was like the owner of the radio station came up to me and said, hey, we're going to do a dirt track show 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. It's like, all right, so I have to make sure people are listening at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Like, I feel like the podcast route is the way to go for, you know, especially a show like racing where it's not, you know, oh, I have to be there right at 6 and listen to this whole thing or right at 7 and listen to this hour of this guy talking racing. I can listen to it on my own time, which I feel like a lot of people do. And, you know, I've gotten the feedback that people do that. You know, they'll be driving to the next track. Hey, let's listen to this. Like R.J. Johnson told me last year that he listened to like 18 driving to Paris. Because <laughs> he was just right. like, I just had him on repeat, man. It's the same, right? You just, you're just like, oh, this looks cool, right? Listen to that guy. And I do that. You know, I, I do that. Um, I've done it with your show. I do it with the uh, the, the World of Outlaws have one, mm-hmm. right? Um, Open Red. I, I don't know what happened. I used to listen to a Jack Slash one, but mm-hmm. that one kind of, I don't know whatever happened. It just stopped showing up on my Apple phone. Um, but Dylan, it's the best Rip way. the Fence, which is great. What's that? You rip, broke up there. Rip the Fence with uh, Dylan Welch. I do not know about that one. Oh, yeah. That, that's a pretty solid one. A lot, a lot of big, you know, old-time USAC guys and stuff like that. They, they focus more on the USAC non-wing racing. But still, I mean, that's some of the – there was a time, dude, when wings didn't exist, mm-hmm. right? And so the, the the fact that they can tell those stories. So it's fun. It's fun to – whether you're on a road trip to or from the racetrack or – even dude, even if I just hop in the car for like 15 minutes to go to the gym or I'm going to the post office or whatever, right? Where I'm going is, is pretty irrelevant. The fact that I can just push any button and kind of listen to anybody talk about their stories, right? So that's the way to go. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and so, yeah, I think if, if it was uh, the right type of situation, I, I would do it. Um, but time is a factor as well, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I would definitely do it. Because at some point, it turns into something that you're doing for fun into more like a job, like you said. Yeah. And that's the one and, thing with me. It was like, all right, I'm going to do this every week. And then it's like, gosh, now I got to do this every week. And it's like, all right, I'm going to scale back. And, you know, I wanted this year to, you know, start doing every two weeks. But obviously with the pandemic going on, I'm not going to sit there and force somebody, hey, man. Let's talk about racing when there's no racing to talk about. So I, mean, I always like the good stories and stuff like that. And, you know, speaking of stories, you said you had one about Hawaii a little bit earlier on. But I want to know what's your uh, craziest story, not just from Hawaii, but craziest story, crazy moment in the pits here locally. 
the cra- craziest moment in the pits locally. Or, you know, just a crazy night you remember, like, oh, man, that night, whether it be you tore up your car, you got tore up another way <laughs> with some fireball or something. What, what's a crazy <laughs> that's, story? That's happened. Um, I remember, I think probably we could go back to probably my, my earliest memory. So one of the one of the cool things that people like about racetrack is the ability that sometimes people start throwing fists. Right? Oh, yeah. I, whether, I love a good fight. Whether, yeah. Everybody loves a good fight, right? <laughs> That's why UFC is like the number one sport in history. Right? And so I, I don't even know how old it was. But, and, and it was either, it was, it, so for whatever reason, Jeremy Sherman and J.J. Ailey ended up throwing down in the pits in Manzanita. And I, I probably had to be, shit, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, right? And because at the time, those two dudes were, they were like the pinnacle, right? Well, Jeremy was the pinnacle. They were both the pinnacle for a long time. Right. Right. Um, but I think, I think JJ was probably, I don't know, one of, one of them, either one of them was in the ABC Sandy Gravel car, right? Pretty iconic car. Right. And some, something happened. And I remember um, just this melee. Whatever happened, those dudes did not like each other. <laughs> they got out of the race car, man, and proceeded to beat each other down. And I think it was like the heat race. I don't even think it was the main event. Right? So Love a good like, heat race fight. <clears throat> you have to. Starts right? the night off right. Start the night off right. Um, brings to brings to light another time. I, I I'll never forget this night of my life. I watched um, Keith and Fred Bryan. You know these guys, right? Yeah. Two just gigantic guys, right? Like if you could turn a grizzly bear into a human being, they would be Keith and Fred Bryan, <laughs> right? Individually, oh, right? Yeah. And they're and they're brothers, right? So pretty sure they grew up fighting each other but loving each other and nobody else could fight with them right, right. like i'll, I'll whoop his ass but if you try to whoop his ass i'm whooping your ass exactly and for whatever reason it was just one of those nights and i i will i, I was probably scared just watching it um but again yeah man Zanita, right in front of the arizona race mark trailer which was just to the just to the west of the the uh, concession stand there in the pits and, and I watched these two grizzly bear of men, like, and it was like watching two grizzly bears fight too, man. <laughs> it was probably, I could think, I could see it now, man. It, I was scared just watching it, watching these two dudes get after it. I don't even know why. Sure, somebody's race car ran into somebody. Um, but that that was a pretty crazy night as well. Um, well, another crazy night is. And I will never forget this, and I and I don't think Andy Reinbold probably won't forget this either. But it was don't even remember what year it was. We were going down. It was right after Yuma. The dirt track down in Yuma had just opened up, right? And it was like the first non-wing three hundred and sixty race down there, right? And we just it was one of those days where you you, you load up and you hop in the truck and we got 20 miles outside of town and blow out on the trailer. Right. Oh. And of course it's summertime. Right. So, okay. So we 
pull over, get a change. Almost made it to Yuma, but wouldn't you know it, another goddamn blowout on the trailer, right? So at this point, we're already kind of like, <laughs> we're already over the trip, right? We're already over the trip. Oh, yeah. We go down there, hot laps. It's kind of going okay. You know, it's first time there, just trying to get a feel for it. And I lined up, I think it was outside second row of the heat race. And I didn't even make it. Uh, so come out four, take the green. And I didn't even make it to turn one before I got upside down. Oh, those are always the rough. <laughs> uh, and I, of course I was mad at myself, right? Right. But at the end of the night, I was hanging out with Reinbold at the, at the, at the blackjack table. And he goes, man, he goes, I've never seen your dad so mad in my life. <laughs> he didn't realize it was you that got upside down in that heat race. And the moment that he heard your name come over the loudspeaker as the guy that got upside down, he dropped every cuss word in the book <laughs> and turned around and walked away. Right. And I don't even think my dad spoke to me until like the next morning. Really? Yeah. I he may not have even spoke to me until we got home, which at that point, I think, you know, there was a second car and he pretty much made me drive the truck and trailer all the way home by myself. So dad wasn't hanging out at the blackjack table. <laughs> he was definitely not hanging out at the blackjack table after that trip, <laughs> you know? Um, so those are some of the bad ones, but you know, we've had some, some really pretty good ones too. Um, there was this back in Yuma. We're back in Yuma, right? And Alex Pettis. Alex, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do this to you. So <laughs> it gets it gets you know, it gets busy, right? When everybody's gonna go down to Yuma. So you have to call ahead of time. Right. Right? And um reserve rooms at the casino. Uh which, you know, is right across the street from the racetrack. Mm -hmm. So um my mom, the angel that she is, she called ahead and she reserved like five or six rooms for everybody, right? Because at that time we were still teamed up with Stone, and Alex, I think, was also uh, teamed up with them a little bit. And yeah, we're, we're all friends, anyways, right? Right. And so we were going racing. So this hotel room, right, is is on my mom's credit card, and so you know how when you go to hotel rooms and you want to order a movie. Uh, through the TV, yeah, on the hotel room, and it uh, it automatically charges the credit card, right? So, for whatever reason, Alex and and whoever else was in the room, I'm only calling out Alex on this, <laughs> just so you know. They decided they were going to get Triple X, oh. and and not Vin Diesel Triple X, yeah, right. <laughs> Or the or or the Ice Cube Triple X, right? And so we're joking around about it in the morning. Somebody says, "Hey, you know, I don't know why Alex and whoever else was there. They decided to do that, but they were watching it together." And so at the time, and I'm assuming it's another we were, dude. It's another dude, of course, <laughs> of course it is. And at the time, we were initially just kind of joking around about the fact that two dudes were watching not Vin Diesel Triple X, right? Right. And then it dawned on me that it was on my mom's credit card. <laughs> and I, Alex, you need to go down 
to the front desk right now and tell them that you need to take that movie off of that room bill and pay for it yourself. <laughs> so what did he do? I'm laughing about it now. He grabbed the dude that was with him, and they had to go down to the front desk together. <laughs> to pay for the porn they just watched. <laughs> and, and, to pay for, and tell the lady at the front desk, um, we ordered a not Vin Diesel triple X at this room number. Can we take it off of the credit card on the room and put it on our own? Did they say they were trying to find the non-Vin Diesel tri- or the Vin Diesel triple X or what? Like, I, I'm just uh, trying to imagine because, I mean, I've been to the casino there after a race in Yuma. There's a lot of other things to do than go to your room and put on a movie. I, I'm with you. And, <laughs> and I, I'm with you. Maybe, who knows? Who knows? I can't explain that. You're probably going to have to get old AP on your show and he can, he can give you the answer to that. Um, which I'm sure everybody would want to tune in for. Uh, <laughs> but that was, you know, the fact that they had to go down to the, to the checkout, to the, to the front desk together and, and to go through that experience. Um, I just, I, I, I enjoyed the fact that they had to do that together uh, and live through that life experience together. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wish yeah. I was there. So you were actually uh, requested to be on the show. Uh, Kyle Shipley requested you. OG. Kyle Shipley. Kyle Shipley, the OG. Uh, tell me about a life experience with Kyle. Man, you like the awkward pause there, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some good dude, stuff's about to get said. <laughs> that dude lives life, right? And he don't give two Fs about nobody, uh-uh. right? And I, and I mean that jokingly, right? Um, that's a guy who... Um, he's got amazing talent. Him and his brother both do. Oh, yeah. Really. Him and his brother both do. Um, Kyle, Kyle, what's, what's that old saying where he, he essentially Kyle writes his own story. Right. Right. Um, he's not going to let anybody else write a story for him. And so we spent, you know, I think we all kind of spent the same amount of time together down at Toby Keith, right? Oh, yeah. Um, he was, he was a lot better fisherman than I. <laughs> that was for sure. <laughs> you know, I think he was using the power bait. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, but it's cool to see what he's done. Uh, I remember, man. So whenever we were, we would go race up in Prescott, right? With the, so when Prescott had the dirt track, um, he, uh, which is kind of when it was started as Challenge Cup, and has now turned into the. And I don't want to mess this up, right? It's not Challenge Cup anymore. Right? No. It's the, uh, what is the official name? It is now? the ASCS Santan Ford Desert Sprint Car Series. Those. Yeah, those ones. Yeah, those ones. And so, yeah, those ones. And so, but he was, he had his own mini sprint operation, right? And, oh, and yeah. doing it on his own. I remember him and his brother, you know, he used to run with your sister. Yeah. You know, they, they, and they, they were all doing it. And so, uh, to be there, you know, and, and to be there kind of watching him through his progression of where he is now. Yeah. I, I, I believe, right. He's all the way, he's got a 410 deal put together now. Yeah. Right. And, and he's doing that. So the, the cool thing about Kyle is the fact that his passion, right. He never, he never gave up his passion to, to really kind of chase his dreams on what he's doing. And, and I think that through, the ASCS Santan 
sprints, right? Um, it gives that opportunity. So, so people like, or guys like Kyle, Josh, my sister, um, and I'm sure there's, there's many, many more, right? That, that they took that ladder, right? And they, they, they leveraged everything that they had. They leveraged all of their knowledge, all of their network contacts um, to just continue to chase their dreams. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Kyle doesn't like to get, get rowdy every once in a while either, oh, yeah. right? Because um, he's good at that too. Both, both the Shipleys um, used to be my, uh, my Sunday brunch partners at Buffalo Wild Wings, and yeah, those were good meetings, right? Uh-huh. Like those. Like, you, do you ever like do you ever follow or like I follow a lot of uh, you know super successful people, and they're always talking about mastermind groups, right? Right. Or uh, essentially, I think a mastermind is just a group of people that get together to bounce ideas off of each other, right? Right. So you have Sunday brunch mastermind at Buffalo Wild Wings, right, to essentially talk about the type of bait you're going to use next Friday. <laughs> right? Don't use what James yeah. was using. <laughs> and don't that, uh, yeah, man, I always got the, I never got the good bait, you know. Um, I did now. Got the stink I, bait. I definitely got. <laughs> <Back then. laughs> yeah, no kidding. I think it was the size of the belly, man. <laughs> you know, the, the size of the belly is definitely not good bait. Oh, I hear you right there, man. This not having a gym being open and tried to, you know, I was doing a little running on my own, a little workouts on my own at home, but it's just not the same. And I, I got that gut coming in right now because I've been eating this whole quarantine away. Uh, dude, well, you're right. And, and you're right there with me in, in, in uh, having, uh, having a female that's growing a human. Yeah. Right. So, so that even adds to the level of the amount of food that we're eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk about, exercise and, and doing all those things. Um, one of the goals that I've set um, since I'm not racing right now um, is I do want to get after um, and I do want to complete and I will complete a marathon. And so um, just the other day, I, I kind of hit a good personal record, not that far. I understand that, but I, I made eight miles without Ooh, stopping. Nice. So that's pretty cool. I was pretty proud of that. Yeah, I did right? like five or six days, like right when this whole thing broke out. Just I get home from work and I'd start running, and I maxed out a little bit over three, and I was like, Whew, "All right, this is good." And then it's just like you start getting the shin splints though, and the knee starts hurting a little bit. Like, man, I ain't as young as I once was. Like, what the heck? You used to be able to just run all day. Got to got to get you those Doctor Shoals, man. Oh yeah, those Doctor Shoals do wonders. I believe so, it. I, Real quick, dude, I, I do have one more story to add. This was probably uh, craziest night. And there's a lot of people that I think remember this night, uh, especially specifically though for those who were up in Sholo. Um, and I don't even remember the year. Um, but I have an uncle who is he's effectively, he's in the Arizona Motorsports Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. uh, Warren Wapple. And he... You know, through Sholo, the Dirt Thunder Raceway up in Sholo, he was super prominent up there, uh, living in Globe. And, you know, he's just, he used to run the, he ran the hard chrome midget back in the day. Um, just a real old school kind of guy. Well, anyways, Sholo um, was holding uh, the Warren Wampa Memorial. And it was the very first one. And both my sister and I were both running a non-wing sprint car. And um, 
it was a pretty good night. It was it was it was the first night. Um, I think I started either pole or outside pole the main event, and it was just one of those racetracks where if you started on the front row, you had a pretty good chance of winning, um, just because the track conditions were super heavy. There wasn't a lot of passing, right? And so it just kind of fell right in line for me, right? Um, I'm, I'm never really the best at getting the most out of the race car when conditions weren't all that good. But it, this particular night was, was going to land right on my lap. And it was, and it was right up until the point where I was coming around to lap my sister. And I completely misjudged the closing rate of speed coming up on her. And I proceeded to essentially monster truck up and over her hood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did that. I never lifted, of course, because you can't lift, right? Even if it's your sister. Oh, yeah. You say and, that. yeah, can't lift. And monster truck up and over her hood. And I kept going. Unfortunately for her, she kept going, but only in a series of barrel rolls. Hmm. Right. And I knew, I knew as soon as I saw the red light come on that it was her. Right. And, you know, typically, typically you're supposed to stop on the racetrack. Right. As soon as you see the red flag, you're not supposed to pass the red, right? It's one of the biggest rules ever. Oh, yeah. Don't pass the I'm don't up pass there. Roger makes those calls. Whew. Man, I'm telling you what. Hey, don't do it. And so. But this particular time, I was like, well, seeing as how it's my fault that it happened, and it's also my sister, I should probably at least drive all the way around to check on her to make sure she's okay. So I proceeded to do that. And so I stop right at her car. As you can imagine, like, she is more mad at me than when I was seven years old and I wasn't listening to what she was telling me to do. Right. <laughs> right. And so Mom first off, right, I stopped. <laughs> yeah. So I stopped on the racetrack right next to a car and right away, the officials are like all up in my grill. Right. Because I almost, because I went all the way around the racetrack. Right. right? And I'm, and I've just proceeded to tell the official, I'm like, listen, that's my sister. I crashed her. I'm coming over to check on her. Right. And she comes, she walks up to my car and she's so visibly pissed off at me. So visibly pissed off at me, but I know that she's okay. Right. Because she's out of her car and she's walking around. And so the first thing that I could think of to say to her is, Hey, can you make sure my right rear shock is still on the car? And being the, the 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 amazing sibling that she is, she checked to make sure, and she told me that it was there. Now, whether or not it was there, I was going to say, was, I had no idea, right? She could have been <laughs> lying to me, right? So, so that happens, right? And she car gets hauled off the racetrack. She, you know, we free fire. I eventually, you know, I ended up blowing the shock and. I just lost the handle on the car. I think I finished third, right? Hey, another finish on the podium, which was cool. 
it, it was cool. I mean, it was it was our uncle's memorial race. Right. Um, our, our aunt was there. Yeah, just kind of a lot of good energy, right? The whole family's uh, the there to see the siblings family. take each other out. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like it's yeah. It was like perfect timing, right, for me to make a stupid move like that. Right. Leave it up to me. So after the race, that was one of those nights. Probably one of the only nights ever in my racing career that I knew that I should not be hanging out outside the trailer. <laughs> Especially after I saw my sister, probably one of the only times ever. And for those that know my sister know that she, she doesn't drink a lot, but she, this was one of those nights where she was swigging the fireball <laughs> from the bottle, from <laughs> the bottle. Right. And it was just one of those times that I decided that I probably should stay in the race, in the trailer. <laughs> and and then not come out, and so I think that probably tops uh, the, probably the craziest nights uh, is when I effectively crashed my sister going for a win and shame the whole family in the process. But I think you're supposed to do that. Everybody says they would crash their mom for a win. Hey, you know what? There's there's one guy I know who lives by that, and that's probably <laughs> Br- Bruce St. James. Last year <laughs> when him and Kyle Shipley were going at it. Late in the year, have you seen that race? Were you at that race? I was out at the race, but I definitely watched the highlights. I mean, and then Bruce just gets out of the car so unapologetic, like, eh, I would have done the same thing 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I love every minute of that. I, I I think that's what, you know, ultimately that's the, the type of mindset that you have to have, right, to, to drive these things. And... And it, sometimes it doesn't work, right? Um, and sometimes you're going to ruffle some feathers and you're going to piss some people off. And, and I've done it, and I've done it to my own family. Right? And so sometimes it's just the byproduct of, of the competition. Whether good or bad, I mean, that's not for me to decide. right? It's, it's not for me to decide whether or not he should have done that yeah, or Kyle should have lifted <laughs> or whatever, right? Um. That's 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 something that I think about sometimes. Oh yeah, I'm like, like us as uh, I mean, and, and I might go pretty deep here, but like us as humans, we're not that far along in our in our distance from being a caveman, right? Oh yeah. And so, uh, yeah, sometimes decision making skills are really good, and sometimes they're horrible, right? And so, um, when you expect us to make the best decisions all the time. Um, when our competitive juices are flowing and overriding every reasonable decision-making skill that we have in our body, shit happens, man. Oh, yeah, big time. So we teased it earlier, and I can't let you get out without telling talking about this Hawaii trip to go racing. So who was going uh, well, racing in Hawaii? Was it like a sanctioned race? Like, what we got? So I didn't go. Let's <laughs> preface it with that. Oh, this uh, is a terrible I, story already. I know, I know, it's horrible, but... You said it was good. And, and I, yeah, yeah, I almost got to go, but almost isn't good enough, right? Right. But there was a time, there was a time when the USAC Southwest Series sanctioned a race in Hawaii. And so what all these guys did, I, I think it was like uh, Mike Martin, right? Magic Man, mm-hmm. um, Rick Veal, Ronnie Clark... I think Kayleen Verville went. Um, 
probably a handful of other guys, of other of other people went. But what they tried to do is they they tried to put together this series where uh, the guys from the Southwest loaded up. And, and from what I understand, and I didn't get to do it, you'd, you'd have to ask Mike. He can give you all the specific details. I wish I got to go. But they could only take over to Hawaii what they could fit on their car, strapped to their car on a crate. Okay. Right? So, you, so you think about, like, now, right, we show up to the racetrack, and whether it's a big, 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 huge trailer, or even a flatbed trailer, doesn't matter, but you have everything you need to go racing for that night. Right. right? Now, imagine just taking whatever you could strap to the car on top of a crate, and that was it. That was all you could take, and you're putting your car on the ocean, and you're going to Hawaii to go race. And that's what they did. And that's what they did. And they put together, like, this whole trip. Ah, Charles Davis Jr. went, too. He was there. And they put together this whole trip where the drivers did these tours and, and, and they made a real thing out of it. But then also at the same time, then they switched the roles and they had all the Hawaii boys come over to Arizona and they did a race down in Tucson. It might've even been a couple of races. Uh, but those Hawaiians, those dudes stood on the gas, man. Those dudes could get after it. And I don't know if they'd ever been on a track as big as Tucson. I think uh, it showed by how far some of those dudes flew up into the air. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, how many drivers really... came from Hawaii? What's that? How many drivers came from Hawaii? Was it like a pretty good um, amount? Yeah. I mean, it was it was five to ten of them. Oh, wow. You know? And, and they all did it pretty smart. I mean, they, they all shipped their cars over to, I think, to L.A., probably. Right? And then they all loaded up in like 53 footers. So to all those and, people and, who bitched having to come from like New Mexico to Arizona, yeah, these guys came from Hawaii back in the day. That ain't nothing, man. Right? <laughs> right. That ain't nothing. And those dudes did it because it was just something fun to do. We still see it. I mean, we still see these guys from Hawaii coming over here. Oh, now yeah. they're, they're, keeping, they're keeping their cars here, right? Um, but that was something that started, you know, a thing. You know, whatever that thing is, those, those guys, Larry Peterson, right? He's, he's got a car, a beautiful race car, mm-hmm. right? He's fast. And so when he gets the opportunity, he comes over. And so it started this whole thing. Um, and it was really cool. It was, it was a cool time to be a part of it. You know, um, it, it would be cool to see those things, you know, some of those exciting different things get back into it because sometimes it turns into a grind. It's just like anything else. Right. Oh yeah, I, I hear so that, you, man. Yep. The fun—I I always hear stories like, "Man, it used to be so much fun." It's like, how can we get back to that? How can we do it? And I hope that happens soon. It's a good question, and and I think the answer that I I came up with for myself, for my for for me to be satisfied with the answer, is that it's just a different kind of fun. It's just it's just it's still fun. Right. Um, for me personally, you know, back then it was, um, you know, just looking for the next group to drink beer with. Right. Right. Um, you know, how many times can we drink after the races until the sun comes up? Oh yeah. Right? That was always the big thing. <laughs> hey, make sure you get the gas station. Got to get the beer for tonight. Right. It's always right. So, and then for me, it just kind of transitioned, 
it kind of transitioned into um, having fun more in the shop. I, I, I never really paid attention to how important the shop was, right? Um, and it just kind of transitioned into having more fun in the shop preparing for the races or making sure that my trailer was pristine, right, every time that we showed up to the racetrack, specifically in the, in the, the last three or four years that we ran, right? And so I ended up having more fun bringing a top-notch race car to the racetrack. Now, whether or not I was able to put it up front is a different story. Right. But, but knowing that um, our stuff was there and ready to race and could be, comp- could be in contention every night, that turned into fun for me, right? And being able to go to the car wash right after the races so that I didn't have to wash the car the next day in the 110-degree sun, <laughs> that was fun for me, right? Because I can make those good decisions. So uh, for me personally, I've, I've asked that question, like, man, I wish you could just get back to the fun that it was. But I, I, I quickly realized that it is fun. It's just a different kind of fun, and I'm okay with that. Hey, I like it. I like it, man. I do appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, before I let you go, I mean, real quick, you got the kids racing now, man. I mean, how fun is that? Dude, that's a, that's a whole other trip, man. Oh. That, that's a whole other trip. So Haley, she's 13, uh, Hurricane Haley. She's up into the mini sprint ranks now. She's running the, uh, I don't know, there's there's a bunch of different mini sprint things. but yeah, I don't even know um, what to keep count because they only come to my track like once, if that. Right, right. And so, but, dude, she is all in. She, she is laser focused. She's decided that that's what she's going to chase down, and, and, I, and I support her 100%. Uh, you know, uh, so it's part of why we, we're doing what we're doing now, so that um, we can provide her the support that she needs uh, to chase her dreams, and, and we look forward to that. Taylor, on the other hand, she is 10, and she, she proudly announced at the, at the ripe old age of 8 that she was retiring from driving. Oh, career. <laughs> What, what could have yeah. been? Leave many wondering what could have been. She, yeah, that's right. She, she called it a career. I, you know, every once in a while she, she talks about wanting to dabble back into it. Um, and she might. And, and she, she might not. And, and either way is okay. Um, if she wants to, that'd be awesome. If not, I'm okay with it too, right? Because it's less, less race cars that we have to own. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, Sophia, she's five. You know, she's five. We don't know. And so she likes to sit and watch the races with me every once in a while. Um, every once in a while she'll hang out, hang out with me while I'm I racing. Uh, but other than that, we'll see what the new one, what the new one brings on. And if they want to go racing, we'll go racing. If they want to do something else, we'll do something else. Uh, regardless, um, they'll have our support either way. Oh yeah, totally, totally, totally. Well, Hey man, I love it. I appreciate you coming on, man. And, uh, definitely looking forward to uh, hearing some more stories from you at some point down the line. Dude, invite me back. I had a great time. Oh, definitely will do. Get you in studio sometime after this whole quarantine mess is over. Sounds like a good time, man. All right. I appreciate it. That's James Aragon. Thank him for joining me this weekend on the Racing with Jason podcast. And James, of course, always a great storyteller, real easy conversation right there. Can't believe an hour and a half went by that quick. And, you know, like we mentioned there, we kind of touched on a little bit. Just uh, some of the news going on. I know people want to know, like, when racetracks are opening up. And, hey, you know what? You know just about as much as I know. And uh, trust me, it's not for lack of trying to find out. You know, I've been calling Jonah, you know, once a week, checking in, you know, making sure he's doing well for his, you know, well-being and stuff like that. Because, I mean, 
these promoters are they're losing money like james said i mean this a lot of these drivers or a lot of these promoters this is what they do to feed their family and i just couldn't imagine what uh they're all going through right now so definitely i'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of the season brings and i you know i can't talk about enough i hope that these promoters around arizona are able to put the petty bs aside and try to work together and figure out something to maximize the racers here because i mean i think it's going to get to the point soon i mean you see people losing jobs left and right you know whether you're essential or not essential i don't know what the status is on a lot of racers but i can only imagine this is hurting the pocketbook and this is something that they like to do for fun this is a hobby for a lot of the racers out here locally in Arizona. So let's find a way to do something, maximize their races, try to get them a little bit more of you know money put back into the hobby, something that they love to do. And uh, by all means, whenever this does end, I'll be there calling the racing action for you. So once once again, I want to thank James for hopping on the podcast. Looking forward to the next one. I already got a few guys lined up. I think Andy Reinbold is going to be on the next Racing Jason podcast here in a couple weeks as uh, we are still currently in quarantine. So uh, looking for a good conversation with Andy coming up on the next one. But that's going to do it for now. Until next time, thanks for listening. God bless you. God bless the troops. And God bless America. America.